Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. My guest this week is Pat Flynn of Fiddlehead, of Have Heart, this will be fun, of Free, of Clear, of Sweet Jesus. You see where I'm going. This this man has a lot of bands. Uh, but most recently, he's just released a record with Fiddlehead called Between the Richness on Run for Cover Records. It is fantastic. Um... Pat and I don't really know each other very well, uh, as, as you'll hear in this episode. So this is us getting to know each other. And also, this is a two-parter. So today you're getting part one. Uh, we ended up talking for well over three hours. So that's how we're going to manage this. Uh, so today, it's going to be a lot of... Uh, you're going to hear a lot of Pat in his youth, a lot of early have heart. Um, and then next week is when we're going to get more into Fiddlehead. Uh, yo, the show is sponsored by rootless coffee who is a uh the, the show's first first ever sponsor and they were kind enough to send me a couple bags so i finally got to actually experience what i'm hawking here and uh let me tell you it was uh b- both bags were quite delicious they sent me a bag of the a damn fine cup of coffee and they also sent me a bag of the there's no x in espresso so what i'm getting at is that i don't feel weird selling ads for a company that I actually believe in. So here we go. Rootless Coffee Company is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more, Rootless is a punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off. Ordering using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit RootlessCoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. All right. Here is my conversation. Part one with Pat Flynn of A Million Bands. Pat, thank you so much for, for hanging out with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, it's funny, you and, you and I have been around the same circle for so long, but have spent very little time with one another. Yeah, this is true. Which is interesting. And I, I think I always really like, you know, a, a, appreciated your, your presence, uh, and we're thinking like, I think I can get along with that guy. Uh, and I remember you had like a, I, at the first time I, I think I saw you had like an instead shirt on, but you were like in what I perceive to be like, like a late nineties, early two thousands kind of screamo we band. And I was yeah. like, Whoa, somebody's onto something here. No, you're wearing an instead shirt and you're playing. Some, all right. Okay. All right. So like, I remember thinking, because I came up when I first started going to shows, it was the late nineties and the early two thousands. Yeah. And, and, and the, this screamo scene was, um, 
pretty intense where I was living at the time. I've always been curious if like, cause I, I, I looked to you as a bit of a connoisseur of yeah. that era. Um, but like it was large and in charge, uh, at the time. Um, but I was also kind of like, uh, very, uh, ignorantly at odds with it because like I had just missed, it, it was hard to escape in Boston, like the youth crew revival of the late nineties and the early two thousands or really just the late nineties. But I had just basically missed that. So I had a very false and very over romanticized view of it. Yeah. And so like, and ever, and it was like, as AN was exploding and rejecting it very explicitly, like the idea of like youth crew straight edge, um, everyone was breaking it. So I've had this like lone warrior stance yeah. and, and like, so I was just like going to shows being like, I hate this shit, but I actually really liked it to be perfectly honest. I was enjoying the energy and it, and there was a, the, like, is that the, like, was the, that like Western mass? Like that kind of area? Cause I know like Amherst has like bands like Ampere, like Will, like Will uh-huh. Killing, like Will Killingsworth I know is out there. And yeah. Of course, so, probably a bunch of bands that I know you're friends with. Yeah. So I, I remember Orchid, um, being a thing. Uh, that was very present at the moment. Will was in Orchid, right? Yes, he was. Okay. I think one of like, one of my, see, like we were ignorant, (laughs) like there was like such a stupid 15 year old, like tribalistic thing based on like your little, like, uh, you know, musical genres. We were all like closeted, like screamo fans at the heart of it. But like, um, the, the, the band before Rival Mob was X-Files X and the band before, and the band, and the band before X-Files X was this band called The Awakened. I don't know if you ever... I don't know that heard. one. They're pretty intense. Uh, and it was featuring some members of, uh, of the Rival Mob and X-Files yeah. X, but wildly different. And I remember seeing The Awakened play, and it was the, the, the singer of the Rival Mob, but he's wearing a Youth Crew shirt, and they're doing... He's wearing a Youth of Today shirt. Uh, and they're, they're like doing pretty like in, intense late 90s screamo like kind of Yafet Kodo style stuff sure like, at least that's what I, I sort of thought and uh but I remember when I first saw you kind of hanging out in the scene I was like holy shit this kind of reminds me when I first started going to shows and I was oh, like oh that's cool I like I love the youth crew stuff and I was like you know too like stupid and ignorant to just be like yeah this is genuinely good music um so I, I loved this kind of like, not that you're like this youth crew stew, but uh, that's no, how I first saw you. Sure. And, <laughs> and I don't, I've, funny enough, I wish I could, I wish I knew what shirt it was because I've never owned an Instead shirt, but it makes sense that it's something in that world. Okay. Could, could right. have, could, it could have been something, you know, there's a ton of rev stuff, like early rev stuff that I do like Man, or whatever, but. Instead shirt. Whatever it was. Whatever it was. It was exactly. Exactly. Like, um. And it's funny when Touche started, like the idea was to try to do like, yeah, like a screamo band, you know, like let's be influenced by Page 99 and, and Orchid mm-hmm. and bands like that. But, you know, I think the fact that a lot of us also were hardcore kids, the blend kind of like was very apparent right away. Like we weren't we were never fully embraced by like screamo kids because it's a very like very tribalistic uh, yeah. scene, you know, and, and very cutthroat. And mm-hmm. then, you know, hardcore didn't know what to do with us. So we just oh, yeah. kind of sat in the middle going, Hey, I hope people like yeah. us. <laughs> so, you well, know, I, 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 I did. I, I, I thought it was, was, was great because 
I, I was I talked I just talked to the Damien about this uh, on um, Turn On a Punk. Oh, cool! Like over the last like ten fifteen years, there's been like a decodification, or at least like in my perception of it, when I first started going to shows, it was like there was a uniform based on what type of genre of music that you liked, and you know it's been kind of nice to see that disintegrate because that was actually one of the things that drew me to hardcore in the first place was like, oh wait a minute, I don't have to. I don't have to like wear this uniform, but then I very quickly got into the uniform thing, just being you know this kind of identity seeking adolescent. Um, yeah, you put on a carabiner, then all of a sudden you're just one of them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about that's about right. But anyway, like it, it like I just like it was very very tribal. I, I should go back and listen to Orchid because I basically liked everything that Will's ever done. But yeah. I just remember, I remember. Like my 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 buddy, um, he sings for that band Vanity, Evan Radigan. He, uh, he he had a we were so stupid. We had like an Orchid uh, uh, LP, and like and in like a demonstration of our hatred for that 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 scene. And uh, like in the garage, we like made it like used as like a as a drum cymbal, and we were like hitting it, <laughs> smashing it. Like that. It was just like so stupid. It was absolutely just like this. And I hope everyone listening knows that like uh, that I look back in, in in shame, and I don't. I think it was it's just an example of like dumb assery. But we missed out on the amount of like the shows were bad. They were all very small and not not intermixing. We were just meeting the same people. What we would do on Saturday nights is like we would we me. Me, Evan, and, and Ryan would do this thing called we had we we played. This, I was just we we were just going to parking lots and jumping to bushes. That was like the the height of like our adolescence, and I, I attribute a lot of that to the kind of hard walls, tribalistic codes of like our of our music scene. That was like you're just never gonna go to that show, and if you do, you're just gonna make fun of those people. But I I, I looked at bands like Touche and, and Fucked Up for really kind of like destroying all like the codes and allowing for like just the music scenes to kind of like interact and to have a greater sonic diversity. Oh, that's awesome. Um, So like, anyway, I've always, and I've always appreciated, you know, your commentary and interviews and stuff like that. And I think that we kind of first ran into each other at the wrecking ball. That's where I remember. That's the first time. That's the first time I think you and I, chatted I, I sat down next to you and we and we and we kind of shot the shit for a second but yeah, yeah it's like we've we've existed you know kind of like i said like kind of circling each other with this world is so small as, as it is but like the mutual friend situation the fact from everyone from like you know the pat kinlins to the walters to the mm-hmm. you know like everybody sam yarmouth is like you know i've t- i toured with sam yarmouth when uh we toured with title fight like he was on yeah. that you know what i'm saying yeah it's like, yeah so and yeah. we're roughly like the same age group too. So yeah, I'm a few. I think I'm a few years older than you. I'm yeah. I'm 38. Okay, I'm 35. Right? Six in like no 35. Going to be 36 in about a month or so. so. Okay, I'm only. Uh, I guess the 35 because I listened to. I just listened to that 100 words of like one 100 words or less podcast, and you were 33 in that. So oh damn, did a little oh. math. um but uh but yeah like yeah the show's all about you know first experiences and things like that so um after listening to that podcast which i recommend everyone listen to because it was a fun listen um you know i got kind of a a good insight into some of this stuff so i know that when you were growing up uh like your brother introduced you to nirvana and stuff like that 
yeah. and uh, and your sister had kind of like a more indie rock twin uh, like tinge to her where uh she uh she showed you like bell and sebastian and stuff like that mm-hmm. the story the story of her discovering bell and sebastian in france is probably like as you said about the coolest thing possible it, it really it really is i tried to, i always try and remark on it because my, my sister to this day is still like like cooler than everyone i know when it comes to music uh and she's always made me feel bad she really has like i you know, uh, the song Lionheart that Havart wrote is 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 actually like kind of, kind of a, a fuck you to my sister because she thought hardcore was stupid, uh, and and I just remember feeling like I, ultimately deep down like, this is not good enough. This isn't <laughs> this isn't thoughtful enough. And like, so she's kept a very high standard. She without being a snob. I think when we were in high school, she was definitely a snob, but. Uh, you know, she had a high standard for, uh, for good music and, uh, and I don't know, I just, I just don't know how she, I don't know what was going on in Paris at the time, but she went on that trip. But the other, the other band that she came back with was Yola Tango was painful. And that, that to me, that, that I still listen to that record on the reg. It's just, it's a, on, on constant repeat for me. It's a good one. I, I hope it's not just because of nostalgic purposes, because I like their whole I like their whole catalog, but um, I think it's like a groundbreaking breakthrough record in indie music. Totally, but so what I was curious of though is, um, so what I you know I always like to start with musicians. I always start to ask like, what was the first music that you connected with that like felt like yours? So we know that you're you got this you know, the surge of great music from your siblings, but what was the thing that was it? Do you remember the thing that you found on your own that was like? impactful you know i i do remember getting the mall rat soundtrack and like on my own yeah and 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 i remember the song web in front coming on for the first time and i remember just like and this is where i kind of felt cooler than my sister uh which was like a big deal a big fucking deal uh (laughs) Because I was like, I genuinely thought that it was a good song. And I, I remember being like, oh, yeah, this is in the background of the scene where they're, like, buying some, like, clothing or whatever. I worshipped that movie. Like, I, like People our age, it was, it was, like, basically handed out to us. I understand. I, I'm with you. <laughs> I, I, I really do think that so much of my persona was actually modeled around Brody, Jason Lee's character in Mallrats. Like I, I'll sometimes like find myself like arguing with my wife, and I'm like, like just the other day we were, we were just in a little stupid spat, and I was like, I was just doing the Brody with Shannon Doherty in the elevator scene, <laughs> like the yelling, like I took you shopping every time, like <laughs> just like anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I lived and died by that soundtrack. But I, I do remember, and it felt like like my own, because there was like, you know, my sister got into. Weezer's Blue Album before I did, and my brother got into, you know, Nirvana's Nevermind, and then they, like, they each kind of sought out their own stuff, but, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think, really, my answer might change, but I'm, I'm, re- I'm thinking, like, you know, because I remember I bought a Counting, the second Counting Crows record. Recovering the Satellites? Yeah, that was actually the first, like, piece of music that I bought, but I don't really remark that as, like, the first moment that it was mine, because... I remember getting it being like, this sucks. <laughs> like it didn't, 
It didn't feel it like it didn't feel like something that I was like I found it was genuinely I could identify as gold. I got it because I was like because a long December I, is a perfect song. <laughs> no, this is this is actually this is how my memory works. This is before a long December came out, oh. and it was where because uh, it's actually a pretty dope song. It, it was the first single on that record Angel, is where Angel of the Silences. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Song is pretty good. I'll pretty give them good. that. Yeah, that whole um, record. Come back to that record if you if you haven't listened to it since you were a kid. It's uh, I, it's pretty strong. Okay. It, a long December is so depressing, though. I mean, like, you, you grew up in California, right? I sure did. Okay, different ex- December is a different experience. Okay, in, in, in California than it is in Massachusetts. That's fair. This is fair. And it, it's a fucking sad time, and that's just <laughs> like, you know, I listen. To, I will listen to music sometimes to to look closely at the darkness and sometimes to escape it. That yeah. just, that's just like drowning you in the darkness. It's such a sad, all the trees are dead. The snow is like, it's just picking up, but there's like, you know, this anyway, yeah. I can't listen to that song. Well, I fucking well, there's hate a li- it. Yeah. There's a line where he says, uh, you know, if you should come, you should come out to California, you know, it's like, he's, <laughs> he's really just telling you, this is the word, this is where December is the best. So <sighs> yeah, it's a, it's a well, guide. I think when I was in fifth grade, there was no chance of me getting out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it was, it was just hopelessness for me. But anyway, um, yeah, I remember getting that that CD, and it was a it was a huge deal just getting that because it was the first time I ever bought music. Everything was toys before that. I was in like this is like I'm in like fifth fifth grade, fifth sixth grade, whatever it is. Yeah, it was just like toys up to that point, and this was the moment where I was like growing up, and my, my mother took me to strawberries in new bedford and i bought the cd and i went home and i was like angels is a banger ass song this is a fucking dope ride yeah and then i I remember hearing the rest of the record being like this ain't surf wax america (laughs) (laughs) and i I, I remember singing like this is this this kind of sucks uh this is this is boring and and i didn't like it and uh you know i kind of i guess you fast forward to you know, later that year, I either see Mallrats or I, whatever it is, I got the soundtrack, and I was just like, I genuinely noticed. I was like, this is a this is a really good song, and of course, it's like, I don't, it's a weird song, uh, but and it's like it's the end all be all like Archers of Loaf song that the, you know, it's, I think it's like their most played song of all time, definitely. Um, and you know, it's definitely like you know Archers of Loaf one hundred and one, but. Um, I don't know. I think there's something to be said about being in the fifth or sixth grade and recognizing that that's a good song in the context so. of like, yeah, like it's in the context of like, you know, corn and Limp Biscuit calling the shots, you know, and yeah. so whatever it was, I remember hearing that song and um, genuinely liking the melody and, uh, and then I remember just telling my sister and I was playing it in my room a little bit louder on this, my like brand new CD player that I probably got for that Christmas yeah, um, which was a big deal, um, and uh, she—I remember she was like, "What is this song?" And I was like, "Oh, this is." Um, I like pulled up the lyric. I was like, "Archers of Loaf." You haven't heard of them? <laughs> so, uh, and then she suddenly, like you know, then then she got into it. So that—that's always been like kind of like a common ground where my sister and I have uh, stood around. But I think that that in terms of like music, I remember that think being like kind of like the first moment where I really sort of felt like I had discovered something and that I was on to something. Yeah. Uh, that and um, 
definitely the, the, the most like explicit moment of it really feeling like my own was um, the music teacher at my school. Uh, I went to a little Catholic school. About like a year later or so, I got like super, my, my, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me, so I, I, I got really depressed and I went towards anything that was like dark and depressing. I was like listening to, uh, I remember the Suburbia soundtrack. I okay. remember if you ever got in, listen yeah, to yeah. that one. But I remember like Skinny Puppy was on it, Sonic Youth Sunday was on it, but like I like, I remember the scene in Suburbia where there's like this, this, this girl, she's like relapsing on like she says she's an alcoholic and she's relapsing and then like skinny puppy starts playing and it's like super depressing. My girlfriend had just dumped me. So I was like, this music sounds like my soul. So I like dove into like in, in, industrial, industrial goth. Music. Yeah. Nice. And, nice. And, and like, but you know, sixth or seventh grade and uh, I dove pretty deep into the well of, uh, of, of Nine Inch Nails. Sure. And, and I remember, and I, I don't want to paint the picture that I was like, you know, like, painting my face white and you know my parents just definitely weren't allowing for that to happen at any point in time but um it was also a catholic school so like we had no uniform choice uh really but anyway um we had uh you know bring music in to uh class and i remember i brought the crow soundtrack a lot of soundtracks in my life yeah, i grew up in clearly, the age of, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. killer soundtracks but um, and that's a good one. The uh, Nine Inch Nails Joy Division cover. Yeah, yeah. So I so good. I played that uh, as my song, and I remember her being like, "Turn it off. <laughs> 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 this isn't." And she goes, uh, "This isn't music. All right. This isn't. Ta- this doesn't take talent. Oh my god. And, and I remember being like." fuck you <laughs> like who the fuck are you to say that like yeah keep go play your fucking organ like like who are you bringing it and like and i just remember it was like this this experience of like i i finally had this like rejection from somebody because no one was real like i had very open like my my father like wasn't like the like stoked that i was like listening to Nine Inch Nails, but he wasn't like, you're not allowed to. Right. Uh, and, and he never, my parents like never criticized it. And so like, you know, my, my sister was kind of snobby about it, but like, you know, she's still my sister and we were still kind of like, I just never felt like what I was doing was anything radical or like off the, the rails. And I knew that my friends at school didn't really like, they didn't like, they were kind of just listening to like radio music, but when uh, Mrs. Gannon was like, this music sucks, it's not talented, turn it off. I was like simultaneously like enraged, but then I was also like kind of overjoyed because I was like, I think I, I found think the I'm, thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm into like, I think I actually have a natural, real, legitimate attraction to punk music because from what I gather, it, it elicits this type of uh, uh, energy out of people. And that just happened. So. That was where I kind of it was like probably the the earliest moment where I was like I think I'm this is this is something that is that, that's totally a part of totally I'm actually curious what uh, what was the first concert you went to <sighs> you know like did your I, did your siblings take you to anything because because no, like, they clearly like, had a foot in with cool stuff yeah I mean my my brother saw Sonic Youth like the 
at Lupo's in Providence, which was um, like the like the coolest place at the time. He saw them on the washing machine tour, which is oh interesting. Cool. Um, so that would have yeah, been like, he, like right after Kurt's death, because that's the record that has uh, Junkies Promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, he, yeah, my brother was definitely like in it, and uh, I don't know. Like I, I, every time I think back to it, I'm like my my lieutenant colonel father was like pretty not a stereotypical lieutenant colonel he was just he was very very open to uh, i mean from what i from what i know about your father just from reading stuff i mean you know the fact that he taught poetry alone i would i would think makes him probably quite different than a a typical you know military father yeah yeah that's 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 probably true yeah he he had a um when he retired yeah he, he was teaching he had a this poster in his closet in his classroom that he would nonchalantly open and as some of his students would see it and it was a it was a painting of 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 biggie smoking a cigar and this is like a catholic high school of all of the things i was expecting (laughs) you to tell me that it was that was not it well i i know like you you know you think it would be like dostoevsky or something but like he actually he it was it was really cool like he like and this is when you know, B.I.G. was like a big deal, like a sure. really con- kind of a controversial big deal. But, um, yeah, he definitely, uh, he would just open that up and students would be like, yo, did you see that Mr. Flint's got big, Biggie in his closet? And like, <laughs> and, like and he, they'd be like, yo, is that, is that Biggie? And he goes, uh, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and like, uh, and then it would break into a car, like, you know, he, he, he would analyze Biggie's lyrics and it wasn't, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't in this like dangerous minds attempt to connect with the youth. Right. right. He, like he, my my father grew up poor, and because my brother listened to uh, uh, Notorious B.I.G. and and Nas and Wu Tang, my my brother was kind of a little bit all over the place. But I think my father had heard some of the lyrics and uh, just the kind of like um, just recognized that they were good, basically. They were, yeah, that they yeah. were good, and they were coming from like you know, like a pauper's experience, you know, uh, sure. of, of, of just poverty and stuff like that. And so my, my father was definitely like, kind of like, it was pretty genuine. It wasn't like, you know, Hey, yeah, you know, I can like rap. Like it was, uh, it, it was, he just kind of, you know, it was a real, um, real recognizes real type of thing. Um, right. I mean, that's but, th- those little moments though are really things that stick with you i mean like i'm sure that's something that you've you've thought about you know more than more than once it's like uh my mom loved uh nirvana's unplugged record and that became that became like the thing that her my brother and i would always bond on it's like Mm -hmm. if we were Mm -hmm. were driving in her car she would be like why don't you put on unplugged you know when she was a country music fan so like it's just one of those things oh dude well i mean that that's like a literal same experience with my mother and my brother. I'm not even kidding. Like really? every every morning, my brother would put on on the unplugged record, and you know, about a girl starts up, and like to this day, my mother hears hears those chords, and she just like goes right back to like uh. you know. So that and like Big Me, and um, if I could talk, I'd tell you uh, are like just like she, she loves that. I don't know, like that style of like they're all the same. Big Me. About a girl, and if I could talk and tell you, are in the same universe of that era of like punk, pu- like 
happy punk with very tortured lyrics. Sure, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, yeah. Uh, what were we got you? Getting, of, we got a lot of parallels there. Yeah. Uh, what? What? It's funny, and especially after that. I mean, I sent you the the photo you were talking about, Bell and Sebastian, and that specific song. Mm-hmm. I sent you the photo of the tattoo. It's like, yeah, we have we have a ton of parallels. But uh, just real, do you remember what your first concert was? Yeah, That's where we were so, going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, listen, I, I'm I'm a, I'm on the digressions. It's uh, I love I, it. I, I, I don't. You make for a good podcast guest. This is what we do here. I, I, I figured as much music podcast talk about music as much as you can. Uh, um, I'm also like, you know, I don't like see people anymore and in like a COVID-ish time and new parents. So it's like, I mean, truthfully, I'm, that's, I'm happy to talk to anybody. <laughs> no, I mean, truthfully, that's that, uh, you know, before we started this conversation, you were asking me about podcasts and like that, that above probably anything else was the biggest motivator. Cause I started this in July of last year and it was basically like, I really miss the, you know, the venue conversations with friends that are traveling yeah. on tour, you know, like. I love going to see friends play. We all do. But the, what I look forward to the most when that happens is just the conversations and the catching up and the funny stories and what could happen yeah. in just three hours. You right, know? right, right. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what this like, is. That, that, that's a really great observation because that, that's, that's like basically why I would ever go on tour again. No offense. I love the, the live show, but after a couple, it's like really tiring and it, and it kind of loses its spot. Like it loses its like big meaning, but like the van rides and the meeting up with people from town to town. Great observation. First, first concert or show. Uh, you know, I really do think it, it really was Warped Tour 99 because I remember seeing that many people. I remember the, like I had never seen that many people in a single place ever before in my life with that loud of music playing. And, uh, that was not a positive experience. Uh, uh, I, cause I went in, I went in as like a total like epitaph fat records, like a hound. Sure. And I expected it to be like the fantasy land of like, it's kind of like California punk sounding stuff, but there, right. uh, 99 was probably the year when there was like some like kind of rap metal stuff maybe on there. Yeah. So like, um, <laughs> I, like it, kid rock was on it. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Um, suicidal was on it. Uh, I think Eminem played. I remember seeing Eminem. I saw his set. Uh, who else? Not, um, seven dust played. And that was controversial because, Ozfest was still happening, and those were like two different camps. Totally, and I and I was coming, so I like, I went from like you know like cool indie alt stuff in like early middle school, and then later middle school, which is like you know another year later. Right. Yeah. <laughs> went into like industrial goth, and then I kind of got swallowed whole by um, the the new metal craze. Um, you and Which, I, you and I are following the same path, my friend. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. So, it was, you know, I, I got taken in, and, but I, to my credit, I will say, I always really did think that the Deftones were the best of of the best because they um, are, yeah, for sure. Was that the year that was that the year that they played War Tour? I think it was. I don't, I don't. I don't think it was. I think they played like '97 or something like that. It's it probably they were probably yeah. earlier, but I I got adrenaline when it came out. I went to go get Life Is Peachy, and I got adrenaline. And because they had just come out, yeah. And the guy there was like, 
uh, oh, we don't have that, but we do have this new band that is like of the similar sound. And I remember being like, okay, fine. And I got it. And I remember being like, this is pretty fucking badass. This guy's yeah. saying, this guy, in one song, this guy's saying, fuck. Oh, lot. times. <laughs> yeah. uh, or is he saying suck? I don't know what it yeah, is. No one will ever know. Yeah. <laughs> sounds aggressive. But so like I got, uh, you know, close friends of the accoutrement uh, era uh, will we'll know that like I got really into Genkos uh, and like really big Genkos, uh, very embarrassingly big Genkos. Uh, and I had like a ball chain necklace and I was just like just getting into it. And I remember like literally one day it, I think I discovered Blink-182 like earlier, like earlier on, like it's like, damn it had just played. I remember I heard it on the radio, but it was like the college radio. So I was like, it's kind of cool. This kind of reminds me of what I was listening to before I got into this heavy, dark, depressing stuff in my breakup yeah. era. But like, I was like, but it's kind of like not so, demanding of my emotions so it's not that bad and i just remember like and then i started getting into the skate scene and or like skate culture and and i remember just like looking in the mirror one day being like stop i was like all at all like i was like in all black i had like this like (laughs) ball chain like like thing i was just so done up and i was just like just stop doing this. Like, this is like so much. This isn't, this isn't you. I, 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 I have them. I actually own the mirror in my house. My mother just gave it to me. It's my father's West Point mirror. She gave it to me. I'm going to go look in that mirror because I looked in that mirror and I said, stop doing this. You are not being yourself. And when you study like adolescent development, yeah, like I'm just, I, I'm so curious if any, like how often it is, it, it is a, recognizable literal moment of like choosing an identity of being like don't do this anymore well, i don't know i mean it's fun like i've told this story a few times on the podcast but like the, i i had a very similar thing where because i was a metal kid like you uh i had got the ozfest 96 vhs uh found earth crisis blah 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 people who've heard uh, this podcast are like god you're talking about this again but uh <laughs> but uh, you know right around that time i then bought earth crisis Gamora season ends the same day i bought cannibal corpse butchered at birth and i listened okay. to them both back to back and i said yeah i'm going with earth crisis on this one <laughs> and then that's where my life took the turn because it's like i was you know i'm like you i was wearing you know black shirts and big big black pants and mm-hmm. and and whatever else and and just realized like uh earth crisis is actually singing about stuff that's not like you know fantasy weird you know things that i don't actually relate to at all like or you know whatever so then i you know i found victory records and bought all the stuff off victory records and blah 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 yeah. but like um yeah it's an it's an interesting moment and it's funny something i hadn't thought about in forever that you you were one of these people was i remember being bitter at blink 182 when they came out because all all of a sudden all my friends that we were all listening to you know metal like fear factory and sepultura were all of a sudden like i think i like blink 182 (laughs) and we were like we felt like we had just been stabbed in the back we're like you like that shit and yeah you know so that was see like i I have a like a a question like uh, like in relation to that but like i've always like the the Ozfest warp tour thing is super fascinating to me in terms of like as i've always seen I would kind of thought of it like you came into hardcore either from Warp Tour or from Ozfest. Yep. And the Ozfest kids would 
punch people in the crowd. <laughs> and the Warped Tour kids wouldn't. Uh, and that was my, that's my hypothesis. And then Ozfest died, and Vans kind of ended up being this kind of weird, no longer like epitaph skate punk scene, and and really kind of became. I I fell off, and I just remember, God, like just like just like like ten years ago, with my friends being like, "What the hell's up with Warp Tour now? Like, let's just like go on YouTube and like see what they do now." And what are the and like, man, like Attila or like. I don't know what any of this stuff is, but I'm just being like, ew, like, yeah. what, what happened to this? Like, just yeah. like, it's not, it's not as if like the epitaph and, and fat scene was like perfect or great, but like, yeah. it's just like off the rails, but it, you know, kids, kids like what they like and I want them to like what they like. And if they find meaning in it, great. <laughs> like, I'm sure that the people in the, of the eighties and nineties were looking at what I was into being like, this is like totally awful. But like, I'm now kind of curious as to what, this is just more rhetorical, I guess, but like what the hell hardcore looks like in 10 years, 20 years from now without this kind of feeder system of because now that Warped Tour's done and it's just like this annual thing. Like what does it continue? What's the f- flock of kids? It, it's something, it's something worth, worth just sort of asking because I, yeah, uh, I, I did sort of see, and I could, I could be sort of wrong, but like, I don't know, like, when Ozfest ended and, and worked, like what was the feeder system of the mid two thousands? Like MySpace. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, it's yeah, it's I don't know. What's funny, an observation though about what you were saying, where like the metal kids would punch on the the Warp Tour kids or whatever. But then what's <laughs> funny is what happened then was all the Warp Tour kids became hardcore kids down the line, you know, whatever, yeah. right? And then the hardcore kids started going to metal shows and they were the ones trying to mosh, like how hardcore kids mosh, while uh-huh. metal kids just push pit. And right. so then, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if you ever went to any of the shows in like specifically like the mid 2000s where like you would get Poison the Well opening mm-hmm. for like Cryptopsy and shit like that. And it would be mm-hmm. like, and it, it was very clear that there was a hardcore kid versus metal kid divide. And I think that that has carried f- from then because metal kids don't forget. And that's <laughs> that's why uh, when you look at the amount of bands that are metal bands by hardcore kids, they still only really appeal to hardcore kids. The metal community uh, yeah. very rarely ever embraces them. The only band that I've ever seen it fully 100% work was Power Trip. Yeah, like, yeah. Like watching Power Trip open for Cannibal Corpse was the coolest thing ever because i remember riley saying like you know uh how many here has heard of our band and like there was like no hands and it was like you know how many here are fucking with us and like the whole place just was like nuts and i'm talking to riley after he's like it's the best tour we've ever had on merch like it's crazy so that was like really cool to see i mean yeah there's like code orange is doing really well things like that but like just over time you know what i'm saying like the amount of like kids that were clearly hardcore kids got signed to maybe like a relapse or a Southern Lord or, or, or any mm-hmm. of those, like they still only mostly appealed to the hardcore kids. So it's like, it's funny how that, how it kind of like, you know, they just, it just kind of keeps going in circles I, around each I, other. I, I love the, uh, the, the theory of like the, the age of, 
hardcore kid metalhead division that is never forgotten. It has like right. no, Northern it's Ireland. Deep seated. <laughs> it's very. It started. It started from that early two thousands. Yeah, exactly. Now, well, well, linking it back to Warp Tour, one of the things that really turned me off from it um, was just that. Um, like, so I, I, I came out of the new metal scene and got really into fat and, and epitaph and, and, and punk stuff all the while knowing that like there was something more kind of like uh, more legitimate than the fat and epitaph scene, just i.e. like kind of like hardcore. But uh, I remember that Warped Tour, there was just too many people, everything cost too much money and uh, Seven Dust played. And I liked Seven Dust when I was into that, didn't have a problem with them. But like, it was like, you know, like people were like flipping them off like collectively just ever being like this is so stupid like wow they're just a band yeah it's like this isn't you know like a foreign hostile government that you're like in pro you're protesting right, yeah, or anything yeah. like that and i remember just thinking like this is kind of it's kind of stupid i liked the I, I liked it but i made i made zero connections i connected to nobody um that was uh, that, that was not a positive experience, and but um, you know, just a couple months later, I, I went to like my first like actual punk and hardcore show. Uh, and what in, was that? Bedford. Uh, that that show is like imprinted on my brain. It was um, All Chrome, which was a local uh, a local band comprised of kind of like like local behemoths that were yeah. in Roswell um, from like the nineties. Yeah. Uh, they were kind of playing their own to this day. It's still, to me, it's like a very different style of, of music. It's a cross between like verbal assault and like, you know, like, um, swizz meets like, like total, just like, it's a really interesting melodic blend that doesn't sound like happy or somber. So it's just like, to, uh, they're one of my all time favorite bands to be perfectly honest. See if there's seven inch right over there. Anyway, it was all Chrome. They were the big local heroes. Uh, Gray Area, uh, and uh, this band called Before I Break, which was like a Sam Miami hmm. uh, kind of like um, emo band, uh, and this straightforward punk band called The Products, who were just changing their name to this uh, to Beyond Authority. And there might have been one more band, no, but I think that that was it. But it was like punk, emo. Melodic hardcore, kind of like post-hardcore. So it was like this, like, that was my first impression of, of like, what real punk is. Yeah. And it had, it had no code. There was no, like, you have to sound like this. The first band had, the singer was in a leather jacket with a, like, like leather studded jacket with the freeze, like, hand, like, handwritten on it. And, uh, and then the next band was, like, a bunch of, like, sweater guys in sweaters who were like embracing each other openly as just, as just like human beings. And like, and this is like, this is like Massachusetts wasn't this like, you know, like this wasn't an era where like men could like just openly embrace each other, especially as being grown up in high school. It was like, you know, you'd be called something like, you know, like bigoted and hateful if you expressed any, any element of like open emotion. I was, I was so, I, I remember this day, it's Eric Yu, who, you know, has been a, a variety of bands in, in the history of Boston Hardcore. I remember he came in, and he and this guy just hugged each other, and it was just because they had, I think they hadn't seen each other in forever, but it was like this very enduring embrace, and I remember being like, this place is not about, like, this, like, macho bullshit, and like, you know, and like, 
and it, it was just a, a wonderful. I've, I've probably over romanticized it for sure, but I, I have vivid accounts in my brain today. And then when All Chrome played, I had never heard of them. I just known that the kids at the skate park talked a lot about them. Everyone was singing along, and I remember thinking, like, how does everybody know the words of this? I, like, I've, they're not on Fat Records. They're not on Epitaph. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Everyone in the entire room knows, yeah. knows every single word to this. And it was such a powerful display of, like, of, you know, kind of like some sonic diversity, just total openness of, like, of, um, you know, just emotion. And, and also a, a total disregard for, you know, mainstream standards of what is what is successful uh, right and also like one big giant like simultaneous display of individuality and you know community and I, that, that was like probably the reason why i'm 30 nearing 36 and i'm just sort of like ah you know i kind of want to stick around it's you know it's it's kind of a cool thing it's it's it has this this world has something different to, uh this subculture has something different to offer it's not a perfect one, but um, it's 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 different from what I experience as an yeah. adult. No, totally, absolutely. Um, also, uh, you know, I heard you tell the story about um, like the first time you ever like sang in a band was with one of uh, like Joe Hawk's early bands or something like that. Like he let you sing a song or something like that. That was your first time. Is that right? Yeah. What band yeah. was that? That was um, that was for his band Beyond Authority. So Beyond I was like, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so this ties together. So yeah, like you, like he had you let you sing a song. And you had sort of that moment of like, oh, this is cool. I'm curious. Did, how soon after that did you start a band? Very quickly. And I, I actually genuinely, I vividly remember that experience. He, uh, I, I got like right up in in everyone's face. I don't know why. I, I didn't see anybody do that before. Yeah. It was a it was a Sunday matinee show at Reflections in New Bedford. I believe, and they were playing the afternoon show, and I got right up in people's faces, and I like I hadn't seen videos of that. I don't even think I really saw bands do that. Yeah, but for some reason I was like right in everyone's face, yeah. and I, it was probably really fucking annoying to <laughs> to be watching that. But uh, I don't know. I sort of look back on that, and I like in that very instant and. In, like, I was really drawn to, like, he gave me the mic. It wasn't, they weren't even my lyrics. I was just like, ah, like, I just, right. it was like, just like, it, probably some weird expression of, like, trying to connect with people. Uh, it, like, and I don't, I know that I wasn't trying to look, be cool or annoy anyone. It's like, the only people that, like, I have fun annoying are, like, the closest people around me. And strangers, I'm usually... I'm not against hugs. I just don't do them naturally. Sure. Uh, so like, I'm, I'm like a pretty reserved person, uh, physically. And so I, do, it's impossible to think that I was doing that to annoy anybody. Like but being I, like I just, antagonistic, like right yeah. in people's souls. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. there's that thing that comes with you're you've absorbed so much aggressive music and you're, you know, you've seen what punk is at least and all this sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden you have the microphone and you have to express yourself in a probably 90 seconds. Oh, and that's dude, what and, you did. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it really, so, you know, it's a, it's a good theme for your podcast. Uh, you know, like I was, it was the first moment I was actually, I had the microphone and, you know, I, I could, so I could, you know, psychoanalyze, you know, uh, it, that moment to a T, but it was, uh, super empowering to, to hold the microphone. And, 
You know what it was? The thing I think that was, you know, so you kind of answer your question and then go back to like the next like first ever moment. I think the, it might explain why I was so like yeah. anim, animalistic about having the microphone for the first time. Is that like very shortly after that, it was probably, it was just a couple months. I was, I had to like kind of locate the friends and whatnot. Um, we started this band called The Action Taken and we played our first show and I ended up leaving the band and then starting this other punk band called Dangerfield. Um, that was more like kind of like the conflict oi polloi sound. Uh, and then I ended up leaving that band and coming back to the band, The Action Taken, that my friend Ryan had, who had my friend Ryan Hudon, who ended up playing guitar in, in Havart, took my place. And then we just had two singers because it was like other bands in New Bedford had done that as well. So it was kind of okay. But like, you know, so doing the band was great. And I remember the first show we played and it, like it just sort of felt like the first show. I remember being like, ah, I don't, I, I think this kind of sucks. Like, I don't know if anyone likes us. Like, yeah. it, I didn't have, like, it was far more explosive when I got the microphone during Beyond Authority set. But then, really the first moment where I remember being like, oh my God, like, the like now I, this, I'm in a band and this feels like my band, it was really the first time that people were singing along to um, uh, one of like some of the lyrics that I had written. So some, someone's going to look this up online, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. It's called, called What You Hold by The Action Taken. And the, the course is like trust, values, and compassion. And the, the joke was like, well, tr- trust, values, and compassion are not what you hold. And then people were like, yeah, but like trust and compassion are values. So... <laughs> <laughs> best, not was, to an, best not to analyze hardcore lyrics just kind of in general but, but yeah, yeah spe- no. especially a, a, the, a teenager from a, yeah. a, a kid who can't drive yet so uh <clears throat> all i know is that like um dave smaller uh said, sang about values and so it's <laughs> so it's solely from ignite and they were into talking about values so I'm going to throw out yeah. the word values in there. And there was a Better Than a Thousand record called Value Driven. So, boom, we're good. So, so uh, with that band, you had recorded with that band? Yeah, yeah. We, we, we recorded with them. What was, uh, I was curious what your first recording experience was like. Was that like a, was like, was that like a, like a four track? Or did you go to like a studio, have someone do it? What was that like? I'm trying to think. Uh, so, my friend Trevor, uh, also known as the Meat Man, uh, he's like kind of like the lord of... Uh, really the new Bedford hardcore scene uh, and has been really since like 99 probably uh, he, he sings in um, oh god you name it uh, internal uh, uh, what's it called um, he's the guitarist of, of Wolf Whistle um, it's a, I mean it's all, all, all of you seem to be in a very like <laughs> yeah. incestuous worlds where you're all yeah. just kind of playing in each other's bands yeah. this whole yeah. time yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he play guitar in Rival Mob uh, yeah. he's, he's just he's just endless his, his acts are endless um, he was also he was like the guy who recorded everybody and he, he basically still is like if you need a, rec- uh, a good solid like a, like a solid recording you can you can go to him and if you want it to be like as you know excellent as you want he'll give it to you if you want it to be as shitty sounding as one he'll, he'll give you that too uh wonderful human being um he probably recorded i don't i don't really remember closely the the early recordings i think it was 
it's probably in the guitarist Jake's garage. I don't really have any like vivid memories sure. of that, but I I do remember it being easy, and then and then because at one then it stopped. It's I remember the moment it's recording stopped being easy for me, and it was uh, almost overnight. There's this is a quick digression, but like um, my voice like changed. Uh, or it stopped being easy when there's this half-hour song called Dig Somewhere Else, which is like the bonus CD version tracks of our first 7-inch. Okay. And we recorded them well after the 7-inch came out because the CD was like on delay. And I remember I did the... If you, could, you can literally listen to it. This was a fun little activity for listeners. Yeah. But you can listen to the opening verse of Dig Somewhere Else. And we were recording super late at night and like right on... In, in Kenmore or in, 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 Fen, in Fenway in Boston. It's like two in the morning. We we're just super fucking tired. And I was like, I don't have the energy to finish this song. I'll just, you know, go to sleep, wake up two in the morning. And I came back to do the verse and I couldn't get the same energy of the opening. And it, you can listen to it in the second <laughs> end of the first chorus. It's like, that's a different, it's that a different sounds person. like a different, different person. And from that point on, it's not like I haven't been able to, get the energy that I want. It's just that everything that went on was so easy. I was just like, ah! like, wouldn't lose my voice. All right, go for it. Ah! Like just going crazy. Um, and uh, yeah, so, but I just remember it being super easy. No fears. Cause we were just surrounded by friends. It was super easy. Right. Um, was that, so that was for the, not for the, not for like the demo from 2003, but for like that first seven inch that came out on, what was it like? Think fast or something. Yeah, so like 2005. Okay. But but circling back to the, the action taken, that first recording experience was really uh, kind of unmemorable because it was so easy. There was no pain involved. No um, expectation. You were just doing it and it seemed fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I felt like the songs were good. And, and I, but when we played them and then people started singing along, I still remember it was like in July, end of July 2000 and, 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my wife, my now wife, came to that show, uh, and I, I, like I, I like I, I just remember that she was there, being conscious of it because I, I liked her at the time. Um, but people were actually singing along, and the thing that was so euphoric about it to me was that I remember for the first time, like being blown away at the prospect that you pass the mic at shows, <laughs> being like. That's fucking crazy. I like you don't see that anywhere, and that was what I was really let down about at, at Warp Tour because you couldn't pass the mic. Yeah. I was like, "What the fuck?" Is Huge this barrier. Yeah. What, what? What do you mean, Mark Hoffis is going to be you know like <laughs> forty feet away from me? I what the hell? Yeah. Because I, I I had seen this there. There was this like video documentary called Release. Oh, the, the uh, Victory Records put out. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, seen it. That was a, a big part of my yeah change yeah, to hardcore. I, I, <laughs> I learned how to book shows from that little bit where that girl's just explaining how to book shows and that. Amy um, Fiddler, who ended up starting Fiddler Records, put out Dashboard <laughs> Confessional, the, like all sorts of stuff. Yeah. She's, oh, she, that's, she did all that? Fiddler Records. Yeah, that's her. Amy the, Amy kicking the door Fiddler, as she calls herself in that, in that book. That's yeah. right. I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually met her uh, like maybe two years ago, three years ago. And I, and I was like, 
Amy kicking the door fiddler. She's like, oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, she's like friends with some other friends and, and uh, it was, she was, she was real cool. I think she's actually married to one of the Madden brothers from Good Charlotte. Or like, I think the, the brother that's not in, I could be wrong. I apologize if I'm getting this wrong to anyone who's going to do the homework, but because uh, one's married to uh, Cameron, Cameron Diaz, Diaz and one's married to uh, Nicole Richie. And then I think the third brother, who's like a manager and stuff, he manages a lot of bands. Uh, I think he's married to her. I well, he's be- a winner in that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, just, it was fun. But, yeah, I mean, seeing that release video all my life and then, like, you know, I'm with you. Yeah, it's like yeah. that taught me so much about what hardcore was. It's how I inter- got introduced to, like, VOD and, you know, Dead Guy yeah, yeah. and all these bands. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I, I, uh, I just remember being blown away. And that's I went to Warp Tour expecting that to happen. Uh-huh. And and it it didn't. And so when I finally started seeing that, I was like, oh, this is just this is like this is totally amazing. But when it when when it got to happen, when it was like and it was my lyrics and the people were singing along, I I, I definitely some like neurological things were happening. Like it was like this euphoric experience and I just remember thinking like I, I, I could I'm like I'm like addicted to this. This is this is awesome. And it wasn't this it didn't feel like stardom. It didn't feel like spotlight. And uh like it, it it you know, it was cool to have to feel appreciated, but it really didn't feel like um and I don't say this with like this is this isn't false modesty. Uh, I'm being pretty genuine. I liked the idea that people were who I don't know are coming together and we're chatting about what I thought were lyrics that, you know, made sense and, and kind of mattered. And it, it inspired me to just sort of like, well, you know, if I'm going to be in a situation where I'm doing this, and why don't I really kind of work hard to try and write some lyrics that, like, really make that mic-passing moment, like, really worth it? Because I would monitor myself at, like, Bane shows and be like, at what moments do I need that microphone? Uh, like, <laughs> you're like, you have and, a display. You're like, okay, when they play Count Me Out, I know that I have to sing the end. I know that I <laughs> right, right. Like, and so I remember thinking, like, oh, like, this experience is, I, I haven't seen it anywhere even to this day, anywhere else in my in my life, Yeah, where, like, you... There's this very autocratic, like, perception. One person has a microphone, but you can have it too. Yeah. Just grab it. Like, that's like a, this awesome, like, like just, like, you know, fuck you in the face of, uh, of like, uh, kind of authoritarian expression. And, and, and it's, like, true, like, uh, it democratic is, spirit. Yeah, I mean, it's what separates punk from any other genre, from like a you know a very simplistic place where it's like, it, yeah, you can participate. You're allowed to participate right. in all of punk in general. You are allowed to participate. You know, there's no, you don't have to be far away. You don't have to look at the person in the band as like mm-hmm. some sort of godlike creature. It's like you are allowed to be involved in the, this. The only and that's other what does the only set other place I have experiences, and I'm not someone who's like it's not as if I've just like never been in like gone into other music scenes, just checked it out because I have. But the only other place where I've actually was like, oh, this there's something that I don't get, but I recognize what's happening here. Was I I went to a few like real jazz shows in Boston. Oh, nice. And, like, I, I'll never go back because it's 
like, if you were to tell me right now, like, what you have to do to kind of, like, really be acculturated into the subculture, like, and just sort of, like, to, to really get it and, and, like, I just, it's, it's a lot of energy, <laughs> like, it, but, like, it's a lot of work and, like, not, like, you know, kind of snotty, like, you have to have, like, every single record type of thing, but just kind of sort of get the ideas, the flows, the norms, and, like, you know, the things that are, that are cool, things that are not cool, things that, you know, things to praise, things to not to praise. Like, that all sounds very, like, behavioristic, and, like, that's not really what I'm getting at, but, like, I feel like I, you know, I can go to show, and I, 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 I like, I get it, and if I don't, I'm, like, very off, and I'm, like, I think I'm gonna leave, but, like, you know, and that happens a lot sometimes, but, like, you know, if you're at a show and you're like, oh, I get the vibe. If I go to, like, an Elk show in Boston, I'm like, all right, you know, it's cool. I, I sort of get this. But I can imagine an outsider coming and being like, what the fuck is going on? I don't I get a single fucking thing right now. This is weird. Why are we at an Elk's Lodge? People are okay with being at an Elk's Lodge. Uh, <laughs> so, like, like, the jazz scene was, there's this place called Scullers. It's, it's, I guess it's pretty famous in Boston. But I went in and I was like, oh, there's a there's a music to this room that I don't, I don't get. And like the people would like, you know, like the pianist or the saxophone player or the, you know, the guy in the drums would do something that would be completely unremarkable to me. But then the whole audience would be like, damn, like, this is amazing. Like, I just wouldn't get it. But that is the only other music team that I've encountered that has had this kind of like interesting. It has its own language. Like between yeah, the audience and the performer, I get what you're saying, right? And so, like to have like a like a, an experience of like this feels like mine. It, it would be years until I feel like I could have that, and I don't need to have everything be mine. So sure. I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, for um, sure. Um, so that I remember when the it's funny I was thinking about this when I was you know kind of preparing to talk to you is I was working at a record store in L.A. here. Uh, in like the early 2000s, I stopped working there in like mostly end of 2005. And I definitely remember so vividly when like this new generation wave of hardcore came in and it was very, it, it felt so quick. And I'm curious from your point of view, as you were, you know, in one of these bands, if you felt that movement come as quick as it did, because like, it went from, you know, us basically, I did like the punk and hardcore section, like all that sort of stuff, for all the ordering for the store. And, you know, there was a ton of, you know, like the Victory Record stuff and a lot of Death Wish stuff and, and Bridge Nine stuff that was like definitely popular and moved. But then it was like when Rivalry Records started and Think Fast and like all this stuff. And all of a sudden it was just like I couldn't keep in stock the have hearts, the Morta prides, the verses, the, uh, line of Judah, the, like all of the, like soul control, like all of these bands all just appeared one summer, it seemed. And it was like, I couldn't keep it in stock. And, huh. and it felt like, it felt like just everything in hardcore had just changed and everybody was mm-hmm. on board with it. Um, you were probably what in your, early 20s at that point probably what? 19 turned no. 20 okay yeah 2005 yeah so i know when you're involved in something it's like not as easy to really realize it you know like look at you know it's not as easy to always like look at the outside and be like oh yeah this is doing really well but do, do mm-hmm. you feel like 
you were a part of something that really did sort of change what was going on in hardcore at that moment? It's a good question. Cause I, I'm like, I, I remember that era. Yeah. It was a very, it was a fairly Boston centric time. And yeah. Cause uh, LA, all we literally had was terror and internal affairs. You know right. what I'm saying? Like those, like they were yeah. every show. <laughs> you know right. What I'm yeah. Yeah. So like and, it was coming from the East. That's for sure. Uh-huh. And, and the Pacific Northwest. Cause there's a lot of, there's the sinking ships and bands like that as well. Right. To us out East, we were like, Oh, it's all just California. <laughs> we're like, Oh, go to loans. Go to loans just from California. Right. Well, yeah, but not really. But yeah, like, you know, cause like we were just, we just sort of thought it was just like one thing. Yeah. Uh, the West coast is all one state. growing up at like on this side of the country i was just listening to the um interview that you did with ned and oh yeah uh and he talks about how you know you get to san francisco and it's like this like moment of like wow and i was just chatting with um singer um one step closer a younger guy Mm -hmm. uh ryan and yeah, he was saying like I remember when we got to California. I was like, dude, when I got to California, it was like, like I came into another planet, and, yeah. I, and I'm like, and I had, you know, I lived in Arizona for a minute when I was a kid as an army brat, and like we've been to California before, and like, but like I don't like it's it has to be wrapped up in some very shitty, like 19th century manifest destiny frontiersman bullshit or something like that, uh, that. Uh, with a little bit of the weather's better than over here. Sure. (laughs) Like, uh, things changed like super, super, super fast from when I, like 99 to that time. You know, I look back on it. It's like, this was like five years and five or six years. Um, and it, and it changed pretty considerably. So you go from like 99, like 10 yard fight and then boom, by like the end of 2000, it's like everyone, everyone looks like, they're in the Royal Tenenbaums and, uh, everyone is just like, you know, wearing a track jacket and, you know, aping, uh, Wes's style, which is not a fault of Wes, but really in, in my opinion, a fault of like a, a failure of like individuality, which, which I, which I didn't like it, like a, because it, it wasn't, it didn't look like the youth group kids of the late nineties, which was stupid on my own end. But like, you know, I was like, everyone just sort of looks the same. But the, on top of that, it was a, like, rejection of kind of like, just, like, straight-edge culture. Um, I wasn't too heartbroken that people weren't wearing, like, you know, varsity jackets or anything like that. But it was just, like, one trend to the next. Everyone's wearing the same tanker hat uh, or we call them sniper caps. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's, like, the short brim yeah. hats or whatever. And then almost overnight in 2003, 2004, like, so I remember the suicide file was pretty big and – and at their record release, uh, Mental had their record, and you know this, record release. And summer 2003, uh, Locking Out Records, like, totally broke. And it was, like, that was, to me, kind of like what you described about 2005, that was, like, 2003, 2004. It was, like, especially Posse Numbers 2004, it was, like, people left the entire building to just, like, get, like, merch from, from, from Greg and stuff like that. And, like... And then suddenly, like, everyone's throwing out their sniper caps and wearing flat-brimmed hats cause, because Greg's, you know, like, Greg's wearing that. And, like, and, I, and, like, the trends just changed so quickly and rapidly. 
and that again, not a fault of Greg. It's just, you know yeah. people are just kind of flocking to it, and um, you know it's young people figuring out their identities. It's fine. All the while, I, I'm just sort of like ar- my arms crossed, being like, "What about the fucking music?" Like you know, like and it, like and it's changing from style to style, and you know, I, I pretty much liked all of it. Um, the thing I remember wanting to change was was kind of like the like the trend hopping sound like we're going to go from this thing and go from that we're going to go from this and like the style hopping and like the the kind of camp stuff i and i, I remember being con- consciously like we were like let's cover let's cover inside at like burning fight uh you know because it's it's heavier and it's not this like kind of straightforward youth crew thing you know I look you know some people wouldn't know the difference but like and inside out to like some youth crew stews is like sacrilege. It's like that's not you know wide awake. You know it's like too much. So right, uh, like I know it sounds so subtle, but like this, we were really just like a youth crew band, and covering inside out was like like an act against the code. We're gonna do something heavier, right? And it's gonna be like it wasn't very radical at all, but it maybe it speaks to the context that like you really didn't leave your camp. You know if you sounded. If you sounded like, you know, Youth of Today, that's all you sounded like. And if you sounded like American Nightmare, that's all you sounded like. And if you sounded like, you know, like, like mental, that's all you could sound like. And I, like, and I just remember thinking, like, this sucks. Like, like, there's no room for innovation or evolution. It's just this kind of harking back to this kind of what my friends and I have called like science project hardcore, which is fun. I, I like, I started clear cause I just wanted to do just straightforward hardcore. But at the time it was just sort of just that. And I really did like what was happening out West with, with bands like go it alone, stay gold. I loved. And I was like, the stay gold record. I don't know if you, if, if you're a fan, but pills and advice is like, should, should have its own podcast. It's <laughs> a good like, record. It, yeah. It, it it should it should totally be studied. To me, I've never I've never written a record that's as good as that in my own personal opinion. I just think it's like it's so perfectly done, and it's such a, a awesome like infusion of like of all elements of hardcore. Like uh, you know, early era turning point and, and later era turning point and like '90s emo and uh, you know like like '90s hardcore. Just like there's just, it's just all over the place, but it works. And it and it doesn't feel like part core where it's like oh let's have this part be that right it's very natural I was very much so in fact the the night before the first have heart practice ever I saw Stay Gold in, in Boston with um, I think Down to Nothing or something like that in two thousand two and I was like we got to do this this is, this is the end goal to get to there because it's just like it's everything I love all at once kind of like what Bane was doing as well. But that wasn't the case in 2003, 2004, 5. But we were very much so inspired by the West Coast bands. And so, you know, we didn't have, like, this, the chops to, to kind of do that in 2005. We were very much so limited by some kind of um, not advanced uh, music playing. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we wanted to get there. And the spirit was like, hey, listen, we all know that, like, you know, you know, you really like mental, that's great, or you, you really like just the thrash core stuff, or you really like this, but like, we're, we're not trying to sell you on, on, on one particular image, we're just kind of, it's just going to be like a full expression of, of like, of like a, the hardcore spirit, and if you want to, you know, we happen to be straight edge too, 
but we don't want to be like the straight edge band, you know, sure. like, uh, and if we want to be, we want to kind of like pervert your idea of what the straight edge band is, which I don't think we really did anything that radical in terms of that. But like, I remember thinking like the codes of like embrace today era, fuck you, I'm militant straight edge type of right. stuff. Or, and, and then like maybe the, the kind of lackadaisical, yeah, or straight edge, whatever type of thing. I wanted somewhere in between of like, no, this is serious. Like kind of the way that like minor threat was like not terribly in your face about it, but it was important to like, yeah, the right. toss of the van. Um, so I don't know if like, I, I definitely wanted that to happen. I, I wanted to kill the militant, like thoughtlessness of, of straight edge for sure. And promote this kind of like personal individual, non-organized religion val- a- a- aspect to it. Um, and I also wanted to kind of, in no way do I think we did that, uh, like, in the like compared to the likes of like Title Fight or, or Touche or Fucked Up did, in terms of like, you know, like coming into a, a codified world and saying like, okay, well, um, here's an alternative and it can work. Um, but we were, I remember definitely wanting to be, to kind of getting rid of like the the camp element of of that the first five years of. The, 21st century era of our core sure i mean that, uh, yeah and i i feel like whether you realize it in the time or not like i it definitely felt like that was what was happening because i mean yeah i guess depending on where you were in the country so many different things were happening too you know what i'm saying like um because there was you know every there was years where everyone wanted to be converge you know yeah, and then also yeah. like you know um even american nightmare i remember when I did a radio show years ago, I haven't had Wes on this show, but when I did a radio show years ago, I had him on that. And we talked a little bit about, you know, I brought up to him, I was like, you know, thinking back, like you guys ended up kind of being the band that still played straightforward hardcore, but you were existing at a time where like you had no one to tour with. It's like, I saw, I saw give up the ghost with like Coheed and Cambria and like the bled and like every time I die. And it's like, Mm -hmm that i mean that's who they had to tour with you know it's like there wasn't you know like it was either them or bane who was still kind of making that style of hardcore at that time that was at least you know on a label like equal vision or or whatever so Mm -hmm. um so yeah i felt like once terror happened obviously but then your your the the world that you you all came from i feel like that's when things opened up more to like become more straightforward hardcore you know again at least yeah yeah, 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 because we were kind of offering that for sure. It was like, um, and then there were there were probably critics who say that we were doing something that wasn't straightforward enough. Because I, I also, <laughs> well, I mean, what are those what are those people doing? <laughs> I, it was I, I have a, a working theory that that's largely a result of not the American not the American not American hardcore the book, but the movie when that came out. Oh yeah, so. I, Suddenly, people became students of early '80s hardcore because a movie came out. I remember being like, "Ah, it's so lame!" Like, right. you know, you, you saw a movie and you got into a style of hardcore. Try, try being 15 <laughs> <laughs> and trying to find those fucking records at Newberry Comics on your own. Um, I actually, I wanted to 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 ask though, what your first? I mean, I'm sure it's like a it's a it's a lot to it, but like, I'm curious what your first touring experience was like. Was it with Have Heart? The first touring experience was uh, w- was with Have Heart, okay. and it's a fairly good story. Uh, I'll keep it quick. I, I don't. Uh, I, I have plenty of time, but um, you know, uh, 
I tend to I tend to go on sometimes. Uh, but, it's, it's okay. We'll, um, we'll we'll chop this thing down. We'll chop this okay. thing down. I keep them usually to about an hour, and I think we're about like an hour forty right now. But we'll, we'll oh, we can chop this thing up. It, it's totally up to you. Um, I so I, I the only way video the ten yard fight like tour doc in the last show documentary came out and like I lived and died by that. It was like I watched it like endlessly you know like my now wife i remember one of the first times she came over my house i was like hey um do you want to watch this 10-yard fight documentary <laughs> like that was like how i wooed her <laughs> yeah you ladies man you <laughs> <laughs> so um but so i i had to make that happen so have art starts when i'm like in 2002 and we put our demo out finally in 2003 and uh the demo so like the fall of 2003 and uh, Thomas from Foundation mm-hmm. um, was at Pause Universe 2003. I met him. He put me in touch with uh, this guy named Jesse, who was with Champ, the drummer of Foundation. So we met Pause Universe 2003, and I kept in touch with Jesse. And Jesse had, had I was giving out demos at that that Pause Numbers, just passing them out. No, I was I wasn't giving them out because we didn't have them out. He said, hey, I'll, he's like, hey, man, I'll, I'll book you. Will you come to uh, Atlanta, Georgia um, on for New Year's Eve? I'll, I'll give you a show. And, like, we didn't – that was the first show offer for the tour. Like, it, it wasn't even – there wasn't even a plan of a tour. All I knew that was that, like, someone in Atlanta wants to have us play. <laughs> like, right. And and so that was in August or September of two thousand three and so I it's my first semester in college and like I was kind of a fuck up in high school and I like I knew I couldn't fuck this up in college and so I was like trying to take it like super seriously which I did um but I was also dating my now wife uh and I basically like destroyed that relationship because I I was not around ever because I was either in the library or like working on leads for shows and I, I like like truly to anyone who's booking a tour right now, like genuinely trying to get a tour going like on a DIY, none of this like tour manager stuff, like really trying to make it happen. My heart is, goes out to you because <laughs> I, I, like you can ask some of the former members, Benny, Benny B roll. He, he watched me do it, but like, and probably sent like a thousand emails to people. Like, like I'm not even kidding. Like, Probably a thousand emails were sent by the time we got into like, like our, our like two thousand five, two thousand six, right? Like, kind of just stopped like having to ask. Um, but hounding people, just writing into the void, just like ask, have us play. And then this this guy Mike from Birmingham. I don't know if you ever played with one of his shows coming through Birmingham. Uh, he he gave us a show the next day after that. So then we had two shows, and then we linked up with this band called Shoot to Kill from uh, from Western Mass. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's sort of do that. And then Verse, who was much bigger at the time because they were like the ex what beats the fire band, we're going to do a couple string of shows. They said we could jump on their Baltimore show and their Virginia Beach show. And we were like, whoa, that's a big deal. So now we got some connections. And then it was like, all right, so we, we kind of have connections in, in Connecticut. The tour ended up looking like this. It was um, Haverhill, Massachusetts, and then... Providence, Rhode Island, and then Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> like the next day, and then and then Birmingham, Alabama, and then um, 
Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And, and then Cornelius, North Carolina. Okay. And, the, and then uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then Baltimore. <laughs> uh, and then Virginia Beach. And this, is, this was the best thing. Virginia Beach to uh, Vermont. Oh, my and God. Then, and then Connecticut back to Haverhill. <laughs> so that was, that was the plan. I, I can't believe I, I actually remember that. I'm pretty sure I remember that totally correctly. But, to, but what's funny is there's booking agents around right now that will still book a tour just like that. And, and without, <laughs> without problem, hand, hand you that itinerary and be like, have yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, and there, most of them happen to reside in the uh, uh, continent of Europe. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I remember not knowing my European geography very well and, and realizing that, and then and then getting better at it right. and being like, wait a minute, yep. this this is the craziest routing, and it's it's all for the promoter because they don't give a fuck how long the van ride is. They're getting, they want the cheapest venues for the most, anyway. Yeah, all of that, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that tour was a complete, nightmare disaster because we were too young to book our own van we shared it with uh the guitarist uh, eric's other band this band called through words we had all our demos we like we're just gonna give them out for free we made like two thousand demos um and whew, my god so <laughs> the this local guy named uh russ had promised to rent us a van he wasn't going to come with us but he was going to rent it and um on the the day of the Providence show, which we needed to get to Atlanta like right away, so we were gonna play Haverhill, go to Providence, play the like you know, play Haverhill, get the van, play Providence, go right to Atlanta, and two days before the whole tour starts, my girlfriend now wife dumps me, uh, just completely, just like I don't want to do this anymore. You're not around. You're kind of in, like you've become like this like. I don't talk to anybody anytime. All you do is write emails. Uh, so uh, you know. Bye. And yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, I was like, oh my god, like my life is over because I truly loved her, obviously, mm-hmm. and I was completely heartbroken about it. And she, but she was also like friends with all my friends, uh, and so fast forward to the day to pick up the van. Russ doesn't tell us that he doesn't have a credit card, but he only has a debit card, and they wouldn't take his debit card. He needed a credit card. And so I, I remember watching him go into the You Save Auto in Austin and then just sort of stand there and go, like, shrug his shoulders and then come back in and he goes, oh, yeah, they, uh, they won't give it to me because I don't have a credit card. And I was like, what do you mean they won't give it to you because I don't have a credit card? And he's like, he's like they, I only have a debit card. And I was like, Russ, I've spent the last four months of my life destroying, destroying the love of my life, uh, <laughs> my like, likeness for me and, and trying to have this, like, this dream come true and you're – you're 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 pissing on it right now. What do you mean? You don't have a van for us. We can't do this. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you. And it was like cold, shitty December, Massachusetts, like I have already talked about. Yeah, County and Crows just comes on in the background. <laughs> Long December. <laughs> ah, somebody kill me. So he goes, Well, I know this guy uh named Rob who lives in, in Baltimore. He has a like he might be able to help out. And it turned out to be Rob Sullivan from Ruiner and he, I met him in August or earlier that year. He knew, Rob knew this Christian hardcore band called Looking Forward, X Looking Forward X. I'm sure Pat Kinlan researched them in his Christian hardcore studies. <laughs> um, but uh, they, the good Christians that they were, had 
of they were like, yeah, you can rent our van for us, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of beat up, but you know, you just have to get here. Yeah. So we had we only had one car at the time between the two vans. The only other person that had that had a car was my ex girlfriend, and all my friends were like, you should just hit up Marin, and I was like, what? Do you, I'm not gonna hit her up. She just dumped me. Like she doesn't want to fucking hang out with me, and she sure shit doesn't want to come on tour. Like no. maybe she'll like maybe she'll just drive us down to Baltimore and then she'll pick us back up. I was like, she's not gonna want to drive back from. Ba-. They're like just ask, and so I got so desperate. I was like, hey, this sounds crazy, but is there any way we could borrow your car and leave it parked in Baltimore for a week? She's like, no, but like sounds like fun. I'm happy to go with you guys. And I was like, you want to, and I was like, you want to drive back alone and like, then pick it. She's like, no, no, no. I want to, I'll go if I can go on the tour. And I was like, I cannot believe that this is what it's come down to of having to like. It's out of like, a movie. If, it's it's, if, it's if very I, cinematic. <laughs> it's very right. cinematic. If I want this dream to come true, I have to experience a pure nightmare the whole time because like I was crushed that she like i'm talking like weeping yeah like i remember like punch drunk love just came out and i watched it the day after she dumped me and i was like on on the floor crying yeah it's like this is and then and so then my friends are like yeah just ask her just hit her up i was like so she comes on the tour and it wasn't like this like there was there was truly no chance whatsoever that she was coming coming back like it wasn't it it was just pure hopelessness and so I just bit the bullet and she came down with us and it was, it was awful. It was totally, it was, it, it was the most important moment of my life because I had to be mature. It was just an extreme, extreme experience of having to grow up and to learn how to deal with heartbreak and letting someone go and recognizing that love is not a selfish thing. It, it's, it's, it's a selfless thing and that, you know, like you know, if you actually really loved this person like you thought you do, then you you would just sort of respect them and allow them to like, you know, continue to exist in, in like, you know, like in your life and, and they don't have to be like, you know, this object of your effect. It was a really important thing for an 18 year old to experience, but it was not easy. It was terrible every single night to be around like literally like, you know, you're 18, you're dealing with like the terrible like elements of adolescence and like you know, you see like your love of your life laughing with one of your friends and you're like, I'm going to kill him. Like, you know, know, it's just, it was, it was a, but it was so important because, you know, we sort of like, I made lifelong, I mean, just got dinner with, with Andrew from foundation last night. He met my child. You know, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have had these like cross country friendships that I hold so dear. And I probably wouldn't be married to said girl who, 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 who broke up with me. Yeah. So it was a really, really important experience. We ended up getting to the Atlanta show, and then the next day, um, the van crashed and almost flipped uh, across three lanes. But it, it it landed just perfectly in 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 the brush. A hundred yards ahead, there was no separation between oncoming highway traffic, and a couple hundred yards prior, there was just ditches. So if the van had gone up there, it definitely would have flipped. But it just sort of miraculously did a like a 180 across three lanes into like just nice cushiony pine. Jesus. Um, and, but we mustered the will to, to go on. Uh, um, and then we ended up not, <laughs> uh, 
Modern Life is War played the Baltimore show, which was like a huge thing for us. We really loved them because they were they were not from Boston, and that yet they were making a name for themselves. Yeah, uh, and that was important for us because we were from Massachusetts, but the, like we weren't we didn't fancy ourselves a Boston band because we just were from New Bedford and whatnot. Um, so we we liked the idea that like you don't have to be from Boston. Yeah. To like to make it. And they were like the essence of that. So like the will to make it to the Baltimore show and the Virginia Beach show with, with Modern Life is War was like our will to like just, just to live and to go on. Right. It was like a, um so we make it to those shows, but then eventually the van our bassist accidentally well not I don't know if it's accidentally, but he he shot out the window with a BB gun that he bought on the tour. A big giant you know, side van window. And this is still out. a van that is not yours. This is the van that it's you're borrowing that you've now crashed. <laughs> yeah. And now you've shot out the window of these poor Christians. Y- yes. I believe you're, you're following the, the, the story here quite well. Yeah. So he, we knock at the window. It's also January now, even shittier than December. Uh, we have cardboard over it. And then we get to Virginia beach. And, um, while someone at the show, someone is going out to like get some food or something like that. The brakes just cut and there's no brakes whatsoever, zero brakes. And we still have our show in Vermont in uh, a day. <laughs> so uh, at that point we just sort of said, maybe we won't play Vermont, um, but we'll, we'll get back to Connecticut for the second time on this tour and, <laughs> and end it all up in Haverhill. Um, but that true, that, that first tour, uh, it was really one of those like incredible experiences, like transformative experience that if I hadn't done it, then there's, uh, I'm, I'm almost near certain that I wouldn't be where I, where I was today. It was a real, real pusher for us. All right. That feels like a solid place to stop for now. Tune in next Wednesday for the conclusion of my conversation with Pat Flynn. It is the part two of this two part series. Uh, if you need a reminder on when it's available, Please subscribe to the podcast, whether you're on Spotify or Apple or wherever you enjoy podcasting. You get that alert so you don't forget to tune in. It also just helps. Uh, What also helps is rating and reviewing the podcast over on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. It's not just something all of us annoying assholes say all the time. It's true. And uh, the last thing I'll say, if you uh, haven't subscribed to the Patreon, that would be very helpful as well. That is uh, patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Take care of yourself. We'll see you next week.